Heritage Park Baptist Church, we make apprentices to Jesus Christ. For more information about our church, please visit heritagepark.org. Well, good morning. Uh, my name is Tyler. I have the privilege of being one of the pastors here at Heritage Park and getting to open the word uh, with you this morning, even though that's a couple of tough acts to follow. Um, what a great way to start our Father's Day. Um, pretty incredible. So, um, this morning, we'll be picking up where we left off last week uh, in Acts 18, verses 18, uh, through the end of the chapter. Uh, if you've got a Bible, you can open it there. If you don't have one but would like one, we have some on the sides of the tech booth at the back of the room. Uh, you are more than welcome to borrow that, uh, or if you'd like to, to keep it. That'd be our gift to you. Uh, or if you'd rather more of a, a techno person, um, we've got the, the Bible app, which you can open up and follow along in our live event there. Uh, but this week, primarily, he shows up a little bit, but if you are tired of talking about Paul all the time, uh, you are in luck. Because this is the one story Luke, the author of Acts, gives us that doesn't focus on Paul uh, from about chapter 13 through the end of the book. So we get to get just a short glimpse into the lives, uh, this interaction that happens in the city of Ephesus um, for just a few brief chapters and hopefully uh, see some things that God would call us to do and be about as disciples of him. So if you're there, we'll pick up uh, Acts 18, verse 18. There we read this. After this, Paul stayed many days longer and then took leave of the brothers and set sail for Syria, and with him Priscilla and Aquila. At Chinchari he cut his hair, for he was under a vow. And they came to Ephesus, and he left them there. But he himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to stay for a longer period, he declined. But on taking leave of them, he said, I will return to you if God wills. And he set sail from Ephesus. When he had landed at Caesarea, he went up and greeted the church, and then went down to Antioch. After spending some time there, he departed and went from one place to the next through the region of Galatia and Phrygia, strengthening the disciples. Verse 24, Now a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him and explained to him, the way of God more accurately. And when he wished to cross to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. When he arrived, he greatly helped those who, through grace, had believed, for he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that the Christ was Jesus. Let's pray. Well, Father, we come before you uh, and just acknowledge that each of us, no matter where we are in our life with you, are uh, in process, that we are growing as disciples of you, and that we um, have a lot to learn and a lot to, to continue to grow and be sanctified, to look more and more like your son. And so we just pray that our time together here uh, would be helpful to that, that I, uh, through sharing your word, would be helpful to, to each uh, person that is here to worship you today, and that we would leave here encouraged uh, and challenged, Lord. And Father, I just praise uh, you for the gift of fathers. Um, I thank you that uh, so many of us have had great fathers. And then I also lift up those that uh, maybe have a strained relationship or maybe uh, have lost a father this year. And that Father's Day is a painful reminder of that. Uh, may you comfort them. May you be with them uh, in just a really unique and special way, Lord. And then we praise you and thank you that you are a perfect father. That no matter what our own stories are with our dads and with our fathers, that we can look to you and see... Uh, the perfect picture of fatherhood that we can try and model. Uh, if we are fathers, we can model after you and try and love those you've given to us like you love us. All these things we pray in your son's name. Amen. 
All right, so the first five verses of Acts, or of this passage, really kind of cover a lot of ground. Um, they really set up the context. We're not going to spend a ton of time in them, but I think they're helpful to go. It's just, okay, where are we? Where are the characters that uh, Luke is talking to us about? Uh, but if you're like me, you tend to get kind of maybe lost in a list of names and places, and it's kind of hard to follow. Um, so I put up a map that hopefully isn't too pixelated, if we can go to that. Also, the super cool laser pointer that Kyle was making fun of me for before the first service. Um, and so you should tell him afterwards how helpful this is and say his sermons would be greatly improved with said laser pointer. But so we've started uh, a couple of weeks ago, really a couple of months ago, talking about what the second missionary journey of Paul's looked like. It starts at the end of Acts 15. Uh, he's in Antioch. Sorry, I kind of have to go back and forth because I know not everyone can see the screens. And I keep losing this thing. Um, he starts in Antioch at the end of chapter 15, and he covers all this ground, but we get some big stories, kind of uh, Luke hits the highlights in, let's go over here this time, uh, a town called Philippi, which is up here. This is kind of modern day Turkey and Greece. Um, so he goes to Philippi, and then he comes down to Thessalonica, which is I think that one. Uh, Berea, if you've been here every week, kind of remember these names of these places that we talked about. Um, let's see, Thessalonica, Berea, and then he comes down in chapter 17 in Athens, or it's right there, kind of on the coast, uh, and Trent spent two weeks unpacking Paul's sermon in Athens, what he had to share uh, to the Athenians and how we could kind of take that and run with that today. Uh, and then last week, Kyle picked him up in his laser pointerless sermon um, in Corinth, uh, and we, we saw a story there, which is where Paul is when we start today. But we kind of see him wrapping up his ministry in Corinth. Uh, and then really rapidly, so we've spent three chapters kind of going across this whole region. And, and Luke's picking up some stories and kind of going in deeper. Uh, but then really, really rapidly, we see him leave Corinth. He comes here to Sincrea, uh, where he jumps on a boat, goes across the Aegean Sea, which is right beside Greece. Um, for ge people that really like geography, I guess, uh, to Ephesus, and he's just there for a couple of uh, days, weeks. We don't really know, but it's a brief interaction that Luke doesn't give us much about. He just says, he's here. He goes into the synagogue. They are a willing audience. They say, hey, please tell us more. And he says, nope, got to go. And he uh, keeps going. But he does say, you know, if God wills, I'll be back. Um, so he jumps on a boat again, comes down here to Caesarea, and then goes down to uh, encourage the church in Jerusalem. Um, just kind of a Bible factoid, if you will. It's kind of an odd thing for us to hear because we read that he went up to Jerusalem and then down to Antioch, which I think kind of messes with our minds a little bit because we think up and down in terms of, in terms of north and south. Um, but when biblical authors write and say he went up or he went down, what they're referencing is geography. And so in the New Testament, a lot of times you'll see people go up to Jerusalem or they go down to other places. Um, Caesarea is at sea level. Uh, Jerusalem is 2,600 feet above sea level, so it's a pretty steep incline to get up there. So that's why he's going up there and then he's going down, even though he travels a ways north to Antioch. People think that uh, Paul probably spends about six months to a year in Antioch, uh, kind of regrouping. That is the end of his second missionary journey. So if you kind of know that terminology, trying to figure out biblical timeline, where are we? Paul has just completed his second missionary journey. Uh, and then, what would it be, verse 23, um, it says he departs again and begins kind of, there's not much fanfare here, but this is his thir third missionary journey where he starts going back into Galatia, and Phrygia, visiting these churches, strengthening the churches that he had planted on his previous journey. And then next week, when Trent's back uh, preaching, he'll pick up in chapter 19, where verse 1 says that Paul crosses over the land and ends up back in Ephesus, where he does a lot of pretty significant ministry. So that's kind of the geography. Okay, this is where we're talking. That's where people are. 
But Luke, uh, I'm sure there were a lot of amazing stories of what God did uh, in that time, in those travels. But Luke, under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, tells us none of that. He just says, hey, he moved around, he did some stuff, he continued to do ministry. But what Luke wanted to focus on here are these three people we find in Ephesus, sometime between when Paul leaves and when Paul returns. So we'll jump in and spend some more time there, and starting in verse 24. It says this, Now a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. He'd been instructed in the way of the Lord. So what do we know in kind of this brief biography of this guy named Apollos? Uh, we find out he's a Jew. He's a, an Israelite um, that has now come, and he's from the city of Alexandria. Uh, Alexandria is a city in Egypt uh, that's kind of famous in this day and age for being a center of learning. Uh, there's an ancient library there that's pretty famous um, that was kind of just one of the great libraries of the ancient world, and around that had grown up this just culture of education and this culture of uh, learning. In that city, there's also a really important Jewish community um, that was focused on there. It's not uncommon for like Old Testament scholars to be in this area. Uh, this is actually in, in Alexandria was the first city that the uh, Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament, was translated into Greek, so into the language of its day. That happened here uh, in, among Jewish scholars. And so Apollos is kind of the guy that you may think you're going to meet when coming and you go, well, what would an Alexandrian Jew look like? It'd probably be a guy that was well-educated and that knew the Bible. He kind of fits that mold, that stereotype. And that's what we, we find. Um, he's a gifted teacher. He that can get up and proclaim and really just kind of be a, a powerful speaker. It says he's eloquent. Um, and if anything, I think kind of Luke almost sells Apollos short in a way. Uh, again, he's just given a very brief introduction. We don't hear much about him, but we see him in other places of scripture. And the reason I, I say that Luke almost kind of sells him short is he leaves Ephesus, uh, even at the end of this story we see him, and he goes up to Corinth where Paul was before this. And he begins a really productive, really fruitful ministry in Corinth. So much so that Paul comes along later and actually has to uh, kind of get on to the Corinthians, if you read the letter that he wrote in 1 Corinthians, one of the things he says, hey, you guys really need to kind of check yourselves on this, is there have been a lot of really big divisions and factions that pop up in Corinth uh, between leaders and different ministry uh, preachers. And this is kind of, we can see how this happens naturally. Like, each of us have different uh, speaking styles, different leadership styles that we just naturally connect with. You know, like I, for whatever reason, when that person preaches, when that person speaks, when I get to hear them, or when I get to sit under them, I just feel uh, encouraged in a way that it, it's unique. Um, and there's nothing wrong with that. What I think happened in Corinth, though, that was a problem that Paul gets into, is they had elevated that, where it's not just going, hey, you know what, I connect with this guy better, and that's great, because God has given all three of these leaders to us as a, as a gift to the church. But Corinth seems to have said, no, like, my guy's better than your guy. And so Paul's kind of writing, he says, hey, some of you are going, hey, I follow Paul. And others are kind of championing, hey, I follow Peter. And others are saying, no, no, my guy Apollos is better than those two other guys. And Paul says, that shouldn't be. We're all uh, just trying to serve God and to do ministry together. And I think there's a lot we can talk about that, but I think the point is that Apollos was a pretty incredibly gifted man, apparently, because you have Paul and you have Peter, two of the apostles of Jesus, and then Apollos' ministry has somehow kind of puts him on that same level. So people look at him and go, man, he is an incredibly gifted guy, an incredibly gifted uh, person who is becoming this, this ministry leader. And I don't think it had anything to do, there's nothing in scripture that indicates that he was trying to get the limelight. He was just trying to serve faithfully and people had started to put him up on this pedestal in an unhealthy way. And so you've got this really gifted speaker that can really uh, teach not just kind of platitudes, but really the meat of scripture. It says he was teaching 
the Bible and the things of Jesus accurately. Um, but it wasn't just that. He also wasn't yet complete in his knowledge of God, right? Like there's something still missing. It said, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. It's kind of this interesting line that Luke gives us that, again, he doesn't unpack fully. And so there's some disagreement on that. Some people look at this and go, hey, Apollos at this point, maybe he wasn't fully a believer in Christ. Like he knew some of the facts about Jesus, but he hadn't fully given his life over and been uh, indwelt by the Holy Spirit and renewed. Uh, some people argue that. I don't know that I necessarily line up there, uh, just because I think the way Luke describes him lends more towards, no, he's, it looks like he knew who Jesus was, but he just didn't quite uh, grasp everything that there was. He was still learning and growing. And I, I think that because he says that he was teaching about Jesus accurately, but then later on, after he received some instruction, he can teach more accurately. It seems like he is trying to follow Jesus. But whether people land don't really change the fact that Apollos had this great gifting in his life, and he had some knowledge, but he lacked some. And then we see him here speaking uh, boldly in the synagogue. And there's this couple there that we met last week that Paul uh, in Corinth, they were ministering with Paul, uh, and they came with him from Corinth to Ephesus, and then Paul leaves and they stay there. And they're sitting in the synagogue when Apollos begins to preach, and they hear him and they, they probably think, oh yeah, this is great, like there's a lot of good, sorry, things that he's speaking and that he's saying they really agree with, but then they also hear and they're like, oh, wait, wait, hold on a sec, like that wasn't right, what, what just happened there? You know, kind of that confusion, and they probably had... Uh, that experience after the service when they leave, uh, like many be you guys have had when you want to go grab some lunch, um, probably not leaving any sermon at this church, but other churches that you may have gone to, uh, when you, you know, they're running to Falafel Bell to grab some food before putting their, their kid down, and they're like, hey, uh, what'd you think about that sermon? And you know, the other spouse is like, it was good, uh, you know, because you don't want to say anything negative about it, but you're like, it made a good point, or that one illustration was helpful. You know, you kind of just go around because, and around, and then finally you realize like, hey, there were some big gaps in what Apollos was preaching. And so what do Priscilla and Aquila do? They come alongside him. They invite him into their home and they say, hey, we're so thankful for what you're doing. We're so thankful for how God is using us. Uh, let us help you understand a little bit more about who God is in Christ and what he's done for you. And then it says in verse 26 that they explained to him the way of God more accurately. And then he continued to do ministry, and when he wished to cross over uh, to Achaia, which is where Corinth is, the brothers encouraged him. Uh, they sent him with a letter of recommendation. And it says, ultimately, that when he arrived there, those who had believed, through grace had believed, he powerfully helped, um, or he greatly helped, for he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that the Christ was Jesus. So, in this section, we see Apollos kind of grow in his love and his knowledge of God, and that really shapes the way his ministry goes from here. So what I want to do in just kind of this brief story that we have a couple of verses is try and take some lessons on what it looks like to be a disciple of Christ uh, from both of these people, or from uh, Apollos and from this couple, Priscilla and Aquila, because I think we get a little glimpse into their life as they seek to be faithful and follow God that we can take, take and adapt for our own. So what do we see first in the life of Apollos? Uh, what does kind of his discipleship look like that we can reflect in our own life? Well, I think the first thing uh, that I often need to hear at least is that we're called to serve God with what we know, not with what we don't know. Like all of us are in process. All of us are still learning. All of us are still growing. Uh, and the, one of the things with that, I think, is oftentimes we feel that so acutely that I don't know all I want to. I don't have the giftings that I sometimes want. 
And then we have this ministry opportunity in front of us or the same thing. I'm not the best qualified to do that. Surely there's somebody else that's smarter, that's uh, a better speaker, that's more uh, passionate about their love for God. Surely there's somebody else that God can get to do that that would be better than me. But the problem with that is Scripture teaches us in Ephesians 2, uh, verse 10, that God prepared good works for each of us to walk in. I think we'd normally see that and we kind of think generally like there's good things that Christians are supposed to do as a whole, um, which is true, but there's also an individual element there that God has prepared specific good works for you and for me that he has called me to do and he's called you to do. And if God has prepared works for you specifically to do, there is no one better qualified, no one better prepared to do those things than you. God has created those works. God has prepared those works for you to step in. And so we want to sit back and like, man, surely there's somebody that's more qualified. There is no one more qualified than you if that's what God is calling you to do. And God, we can trust, has prepared us enough to be able to walk in those, to be faithful in walking through that. Now, does that mean we won't grow through that process? No, that's what we, we see Apollos here doing, right? He walks in it. He's faithful. He's preaching as best he knows how. And the ironic thing is, by doing that, by kind of stepping into even where he had some shortcomings, God uses that to grow him, to prepare him more for what's coming next, right? Like if Apollos had gone, hey, I know I've got some speaking gifts, but I just don't know enough to get up and proclaim Christ in the synagogue. Would he have ever encountered Priscilla and Aquila? Aquila? Would they have had that relationship where they begin to invest in him, when they begin to show him more fully what Christ was like? You know, God used his faithfulness in that event to help him to grow, to continue um, on his walk with Christ so that he was more able and more prepared for the future. And so I think for us, the question is, are there areas in our life where we feel like God may be stirring in our heart and wanting to do something with, but we just keep disqualifying ourselves because we feel like, man, surely someone else can pick that up more than what I can. My encouragement would just be, if there is something like that, step into it, see what God would do, and trust that he's going to work in you and through you in what those works that he's prepared for you. The second thing we see, um, I think, from Apollos that we should reflect in our own lives is that Apollos is an incredibly teachable guy. So he comes from Alexandria, like we talked about. He seems eloquent. He knows the scriptures. Uh, he has you know, kind of what you can think of like an Ivy League education for his day. But when somebody comes along and says, hey, there's some more things I can help you understand, there doesn't seem to be any resistance in his life. His response is, yes, like help me to understand more of who God is and what God is doing in this world. And that makes sense, right? Because if our God is inexhaustible, like if God is infinite, then we as believers can never get to fully know the depths of who he is. We'll never exhaust our opportunities to learn about God, to learn about his word. And so as we as disciples should be like Apollos and be teachable, look for opportunities to continue to grow, continue to learn more and more about who God is. I mean, this is any relationship, right? Like we believe in a personable God that we can have a relationship with and any relationship we have requires a continual growth in knowledge of who that person is. Now, we sometimes feel it much more acutely, like at the kind of the first date stage, when you're just getting to know someone and you're going through where you're from, do you have any brothers and sisters, what's your family like, what are your interests, what did you study in school, where did you go to school? You know, just that list of rapid-fire questions when you're just starting to get to know somebody. It's much different when you've been married to somebody kind of 20, 30, 40 years. Like, you know the list of facts about that person. But still, as you walk with that person through different circumstances, you walk with them through different experiences, you get to see different sides of them, you learn more and more about them, and your love for that person grows in depth as you get to know that person more. It's in the same way that God invites us to continue to get to know him and continue to push in uh, and to spend effort and time learning about who he is. 
And like this looks different depending on kind of how you're wired um, or maybe a season of life. Like we don't all learn uh, or enjoy learning the same way. I just kind of naturally have always been a book person. Um, I enjoy reading. I try and carve out time for that. It actually gives me energy. And I know some of you are like, that gives me death. Like that's awful. Um, So maybe that's not the most helpful for you. I mean, spend time in your scripture um, spend time in the word, but there are other avenues to find it, uh, other avenues to grow in life. You maybe audiobooks serve you well, uh, or podcasts. Um, one thing I found this week was actually an app called Dwell, uh, which is just an audio recording of passages of scripture. Um, it's really, really well done. Uh, you know, it's just something you can plug in in your car and just hear the word of God read over you as you drive. You know, there, there are so many different ways to do it. If you're more of a video person, uh, our church has a subscription to a service called Right Now Media uh, that is free for anyone that's connected to Heritage Park. Um, you can come by the office or email us. We'll help you get signed up with that. But they have a ton of incredible like video Bible content from great teachers of the word. It says, hey, I, you know, when I cook or when I clean, I can just put something on my laptop and let it go over to the side. Or maybe I've got a job that I do a lot of data entry that I can kind of run that on the side. Um, would be a great way to serve you and to push you into knowing who Christ is more. See, the, the important thing isn't going, what's the right way or the wrong way to learn more about who God is? The question is, what steps are we taking today that a year from now we'll know a little bit more about who Jesus is and what he's done for us on the cross? Um, I think the final thing that we get from Apollos, uh, the final trait that we should emulate is his humility. Uh, like we talked about earlier, like Apollos is a very gifted individual. Um, he was an educated guy. He was a gifted guy. Uh, he was a respected leader, we see, um, almost too much so in some ways. But something that sometimes we see in the lives of people that kind of shine are those really kind of high-capacity leaders. Uh, it seems a, a trait they can sometimes fall prey to is thinking, hey, if I'm a high-capacity person, if I'm a high-capacity leader, the only people that can really offer me anything of value is other high-capacity people and leaders. Like, if I'm really successful, uh, I need really successful people to speak into my life. And anyone that doesn't kind of reach my standard of success, uh, I don't really have much that I can learn from them. From. But that is not at all what we see in the life of Apollos. You know, these, this couple, these craftsmen, they make tents, we find out in uh, Ephesians 18, come and are willing to speak into his life. And they may have been the best tent makers in ancient Greece, but that's not exactly a a prestigious career. That's not something that kids aspire to and say, oh, that's what I want to do one day, Uh, make tents. You know, Roman culture very much so emphasized uh, rhetoric, it emphasized speaking ability, it uh, emphasized your education and your ability to kind of command crowds. And one of the other things in the culture was saying, and if you've got that, if you have this high social standing, the cardinal sin was to put yourself below people of lesser social standing than you. It was very, very much kind of driven by appearances. Um, Ever seen a culture like that? I know it's kind of uh, something so uncommon for us. But what do we see Apollos doing? Instead of going, hey, you know what? Those people, maybe they love Jesus, but they're really below me in social standing, so I I can't really engage with them. They can't speak into my life. Uh, When they come willing and say, hey, we love Jesus and we love his church and we wanna help you, Apollos says, how can I receive from you? What can you speak into my life? Um, Do we have that? Like, are we willing to maybe invite people into our lives to speak into it, to kind of open up and say, hey, there are gaps in my knowledge of who God is that you can speak into, and there's always also gaps in me following Christ that I know I don't obey like I should, that you can bring wisdom and you can insight and bring in. And that's so hard because that inquires us 
requires us to intentionally kind of ask for people to bring that into our life. Um, ask for people to, to speak in like that. One of the most difficult things in the transition coming from College Station to here, uh, for me personally, was kind of, I had a group of three or four guys that we met weekly at a coffee shop early morning and just talked about the Bible and talked about life. And in the past kind of five years in my growth as a husband and pastor and uh, father and follower of Christ, those guys did more to speak into my life than probably any other one thing that happened. And so kind of walking away from that, I was like, this is a big loss because God used those people so powerfully to shape who I am. And listen, like I, I understand that that's not an easy thing to do. I'm like, I say, it's easy to say we should have people that speak into our life. It's really hard to go ask someone to do that for us because it's a, a place of humility. Like I don't have it all figured out and it's a place of vulnerability. Like, hey, maybe I'm not all that I kind of project myself to be at times and I want you to actually see what that looks like. Uh, I mean, it really kind of feels like you're back in middle school asking a girl to a dance. You're like, hey, man, are you free on Friday? You want to maybe, I don't know, study the Bible or together or something or not? No, you're probably busy. Okay, never mind. Um, you know, but that's something if people are invited into more often than not, even though it feels weird to ask for that person to come in, um, what I found is you take that step and most people that are trying to follow Christ are hungry for that type of relationship. But because of uh, just a lot of things, we, we are afraid to draw near. Um, but that's what we see here. When somebody says, hey, Apollos, we want to speak into your life, the first thing he does is go, yes, please, let me learn from you. And so I think the question for us here is, are there people uh, in your life right now that, you're, that are speaking into you, that are pouring into you? Um, and if there's not, who can that be? Who could you go and try and find? And I think one thing I also want to uh, kind of point out, kind of the flip side is the, of this, is, that, is there any area in our life that our pride has kind of welled up where we look at a person or at a kind of type of people and say, yeah, that, that group of people really don't have any way, don't even have any platform to speak into my life. There's nothing that they can say that can, I can gain from. Because not only did kind of Apollos go for a different social standing, not only did he humble himself and say, okay, no, I want to learn uh, from these craftsmen, uh, he also said in a very male-dominated patriarchal society that didn't value women and their input, um, he asked both of these people to speak into his life. We don't know exactly what it looked like when they were meeting together and when they were teaching him, but Luke's very clear that both Priscilla uh, and her husband Aquila spoke into this guy's life. They made an impact in who he was. And listen, we can get down a rabbit trail really quickly on this, um, and so we, we want to kind of step back from that. And I'll just say that in different Christian traditions and in different denominations, there's disagreement on what exactly the Bible allows as far as uh, women serving as elders or serving as teaching, lead, pastors, whatever the, kind of that church calls that role. Um, I think there is room within big tent Christianity uh, for people that disagree on reading those relevant passages, the passages that speak to that differently, uh, to disagree but still trying to faithfully and honestly seek to love and follow Jesus as much as they can. Uh, but the fortunate thing for me today is this passage doesn't really talk about that. Um, this passage is just saying that, hey, there was this guy that needed some growth in his faith. He had some things lacking. And there was a man and a woman, a brother and a sister in Christ, that loved him enough to speak into his life and to say, hey, let us share some things with you. And so I think the takeaway for us is that it's really healthy from time to time to step back and go, do I have people that are different than me speaking into my life? 
Do I have just men speaking in or are there women that are speaking in and helping me to love and follow Jesus more effectively? Because sometimes it's easier just you look around and go, all the people that kind of have positions of influence on my life look a lot like me. They make about the same amount. They have the same background as me. They have the same ethnicity as me. They have the same gender as me. But that robs us of kind of the fullness of what Christ has for us within the family of God because the differences that we bring to the table here can challenge and shape us in so many different ways because we see the world so differently. And God uses how we see the world and our experiences to impact our own life, kind of how the Spirit shapes us, but then also if we're willing to step in and willing to hear from others, help challenge those around us to grow and to love God more in things that we wouldn't see just because that's not how we see the earth. It's not how we see life. Um, and so then real quickly, we'll, we'll switch over here and talk about Priscilla and Aquila. Um, three brief, brief lessons from them. Um, as a quick reminder, who are they? Uh, we met them last week. They were in Corinth. Uh, they were there because the emperor Claudius had kicked the Jews out of Rome. And so they moved from there to Corinth. They're trying to serve God there. They meet Paul. They build this relationship. So they follow him to Ephesus. And that's where we meet him here, uh, serving Apollos. So what do we see in their life? Like, what did they do that, man, we would, be, would give us so much fruit if we can learn to do that a little bit better too? Uh, first is they obey God in difficult circumstances. Right, like, Luke here doesn't give us a whole lot about their emotional state in Corinth, but I'd hazard a guess that it's not particularly happy. Like, they didn't move to Corinth because the economic opportunities for tent makers were really great there. They left because a Roman emperor had said, hey, if you're a Jew, you gotta get out of here. And you live in Rome, you're all displaced. And so they pack up and they end up in Corinth. But it's because they're there, because God has used these circumstances to move them there, that they have the opportunity to get to know Paul, to encourage Paul, to learn from Paul, to build a relationship so much that when Paul leaves Corinth, they go with him. But then something else happens. We don't know the circumstances here, but they land in Ephesus and Paul continues on and they stick behind. Again, we don't know the circumstances, but that's never pleasant. Like, it's never fun to lose a dear friend, to lose a partner in ministry, to see them go on, and you're like, well, now I'm here again, starting completely over for the second time. Like, I imagine there were some days where they just prayed to God, like, what are we even doing here? Why is this stuff going on? But we see is God, again, has them exactly where they need to be, to hear Apollos, and to begin to speak into the, his life. And so, in the midst of these circumstances that, uh, are anything but pleasant, most likely, that are very negative, we would term them as. Their faithfulness uh, helps to shape the ministry of Apollos, and that uh, we don't know all the things that they did, all the ways that uh, they ministered to other people, but we know that all the people that Apollos then went and ministered to, all the people he encouraged, all the people he shared Christ with, had in part some Priscilla and Aquila to thank for that, because they had helped make Apollos who he is and to pursue him in that way. And so wherever we find ourselves, if you come in here today and you're like, man, my financial circumstances, my job circumstances, my health, my family, my friends, my relationships uh, just seem dark. Even if it's completely outside of your control, uh, that's where they were. That These things were happening to them outside of their control, but yet they said, hey, if my God is good and my God is powerful, then he has put me here for a reason, and so I'm going to be faithful in the midst of whatever that is. And if God can use the actions of the Roman pagan emperor Claudius to get them where he wanted them to be, to have an impact for the kingdom, then God's going to use our circumstances, no matter what they look like, to do the same. Uh, Second, I think one of the things that we can learn from them is their first response uh, to Apollos is grace and charity. You know, when they hear Apollos 
speak, and it leaves whatever it was to be desired. It wasn't complete. It wasn't great. Um, they don't stand up in public and rebuke him. They don't kind of run over and find some people that they can kind of talk about it with and uh, gossip and commiserate about how much Paul has dropped the ball. Uh, they don't run to Facebook and put a post that really says, like, you know, going to get a lot of likes because it, you know, is funny or it has the right gif about how dumb Apollos was or anything like that. No, they say, hey, come into our home. They reach out, they engage him. They say, we want to help you get better. We don't want to tear down. We don't want to um, speak ill of you. We want to encourage and build up. And this is the opposite, I think, of our natural tendency. Um, And it's a natural tendency that's exacerbated kind of by the social media hot take culture, where it's so easy to run to cynicism and run to assuming the worst in somebody uh, rather than say, hey, you know what? Actually, uh, rather than be making myself look better by tearing this person down, I want to step in and do some hard work to help build him up. But I think this is something that as we understand the patience and the love and the grace that God has shown us, through Christ, then we're able to extend grace and patience and charity to others because we understand we've received far more than we could ever be asked to give. And finally, the last thing to get uh, that Aquila and Priscilla um, show us so well is that God calls us and gifts us in different ways, um, but he calls us to serve people first and foremost. No matter what our gifting is, no matter what our calling is, God is calling us to serve people, to serve other believers, to encourage them. I think there's kind of different ways we can fall into this error. One is we overvalue upfront gifts, you know, people that teach Bible studies to people that lead worship. We say, hey, man, that's, like, that's next level Christian to be able to do that. Um, or sometimes we go, uh, man, it's different ministry callings that really is just incredible. Um, I grew up in a church that I think this was completely unintentional, but I still got it. Wanted to celebrate missionaries, which I think is a really good thing to do. Um, but kind of growing up and how they did that, there were some times I walked away and I thought, you know, like really, really good Christians, if you're a great Christian, you go overseas as a missionary. If you're like B student Christian, you become a pastor. And then if you're C student, you go to other stuff. And I was like, I'm cool with being a B student. I'll go be a pastor. Um, but that's fine because you're all C students. Um, <laughs> joking. Like that is not at all what we see in scripture. God calls us to different things. God gifts us in different ways. And we need Everyone, we need people that lead worship and preach. We need people that teach and lead small groups. We also need people that are serving in the marketplace. We need people that are being faithful teachers and mothers and janitors and construction workers and lawyers and NASA employees and all the different things that God has put on our plate to do. Um, God calls us into these areas of life to be faithful and it's as we are all pursuing him that we all uh, encourage and build each other up in that way. Uh, So Priscilla and Aquila, we never see them in scripture in front of a crowd. We never see them leading out in ministry. We never see that uh, taught about them. But what we do see is they continually say, hey, one thing that God has given us is a home that we're gonna open up to other people. And so in Corinth last week, uh, we see that they invite Paul to live with them, which was probably about an 18-month period. They had another person living in their home. Um, Then they go to to Ephesus and they see Apollos, Apollos and they say, hey, come into our home. Let's teach you. Let's mentor you. Let's help you grow. Um, then later, Paul writes the, the letter to a Corinthians, uh, which again, the people in Corinth knew Aquila and Priscilla. He happens to mention them. He kind of sends them greetings uh, or he sends their greetings from Ephesus where they still are back to Corinth. And he says, hey, Priscilla and Aquila greet you along with the church that meets in their home. And so again, they had this home in Corinth. They're still doing ministry there and a church has begun to meet in their home. And then at some point later on, 
the emperor rescinds his uh, expulsion of the Jews. Jews are able to return and live in Rome, and they go. They return back to Rome, and we find at the end of the letter of Romans, as Paul is writing to that church there, he says, hey, I, Paul, want to greet Priscilla and Aquila, who are there, and the church that's meeting in their home. So wherever this couple found themselves, the one thing we see them doing time and time again is saying, hey, God has given us a home. We want to bring people in in order to encourage them. That's not up on a stage. That's not leading a group. That's not doing some of the things that we try and esteem. But they're saying, this is our way to have an impact for the kingdom of God. And they impacted the life of Paul. They impacted the life of Apollos. They impacted the lives of all of those Christians in Ephesus and in Rome that met in their home. God did amazing things through their small ministry. And so for us, that's the question. It's not necessarily what gifts God has given you or what uh, calling God has put on your life vocationally. It's just the question of how can we, in who God has made us to be and in the season of life that we are in, how can we serve the people that God has put in front of us? Like who is on that list for you? Who is God asking you to pour into? And then you figure out because of how God has wired you, how you can pour into that person. For some of us, it may be the Aquila and Priscilla route. It's, I've got a home. I love having people over. Or maybe I don't really like having people over, but God's kind of asking me to do it, so come on over. Um, and just saying, I'm going to show hospitality to people and encourage them when they're under my roof. Others, it's leading things like small groups. It's leading Bible studies. It's teaching Sunday school. It's work, working with youth students. Um, for some of us, it's like, hey, that, that's really not my uh, speed, but what I can do is I can write notes of encouragement or I can write emails of encouragement to people uh, in my sphere, just letting them know that I'm thinking about them and that I'm praying for them. Maybe if you've got kids that are a little uh, farther along, uh, a little older, you say, hey, you know, one thing that I can do right now is I can get to know parents of a newborn and just build a relationship so that when things start to go sideways and they need some encouragement or some wisdom, uh, I can, we'll have that relationship to step in there. And then we kind of have this, I think when we think about doing that, sometimes we have this displaced sense of humility. It's like, oh, I don't really have anything to offer. Um, I don't really have any wisdom to give. But the fact of the matter is, if God has walked us, if our life story has walked through that season, God has given us gifts and knowledge and wisdom to share with those that come behind us. Um, Even if it's, I did everything wrong, uh, we still know some of the things that we can share and say, hey, I've been where you are before. This is what God did in my family's life. This is what I would do the same. This is what I would do better. Again, we all have different stories. We come with different backgrounds and skills and life experiences and so much. But God has put things in front of each of us to do that help us as a body build each other up into who God would have us to be as individuals and as a community. Um, If this is something you're like, man, that sounds good. I'd really like to pour into somebody I don't know who to do that for right now. I'm going to go ahead and give a plug for Carrie. Uh, VBS is in a couple of weeks. Um, There will be hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of little human beings uh, running through the halls of this church, some of which that know Jesus, some of which have no involvement in church, um, and that God could be using you if you have the the schedule that allows or maybe something in the evening and stuff to encourage and to pour the gospel into the lives of these people. Um, that would be a great opportunity. Otherwise, just pray. Seriously, I think if we're honest to ask God and say, God, who can I pour into? Uh, who's in my sphere right now? And how can I do that? That's not a prayer that God's gonna like maybe answer or maybe not. Like I think if we honestly seek him in that, God will give us somebody, bring somebody to our attention and that through serving that person, God's gonna do things in their life and in our life that we don't currently have any idea what that's gonna look like. So this is a brief story. There's uh, a lot that happens in just a few verses. We get kind of this high-level view. But what we see in Apollos and what we see in Aquila and Priscilla are three believers in Christ that are doing their best to follow 
God. They're doing their best to follow Christ in everything they can do. And God does an amazing work in their life then. And I think if we kind of look at these things and say, hey, what are a few lessons that we should seek to, to emulate, some things that we should seek, some traits that we want to build out in our life uh, to be a disciple that we see in their life, I think God is going to do some amazing things in seeking it, uh, to work in us as we seek after him. Let's pray. Father, thank you that one of the great gifts you've given to us are other believers um, that seek to follow after you. Thank you for those in this uh, building right now and that were in here a few hours ago for the first service uh, that we can look to. And like what Paul said, uh, seek to follow them as they seek to follow you. Thank you for the gift that that is to us, to me, um, the gift that that is to the world, Lord. Uh, May you help us to know what it's like to model a full-fledged devotion to you and a life uh, that every aspect of is marked by a love and a pursuit of you. Lord, as we walk out of here today, um, may you just continue to work in our life. May you um, bring people to our mind that can pour into us and that we can pour into. And may we all look a little bit more like you because of it. Amen.